we used to define what helpful was at Ace Harbor. Now the consumer does. And there's lots of different ways to be helpful, right? And so it's not just about the guy and standing in the store in a red vest and helping you get the right toilet flapper. Um, that's important, but we need to emanate and extend helpful outside the four walls of the store. Uh, and for almost 100 years, that was what was helpful. Now consumers define helpful, and they can get help any way that they choose and they think is helpful, so we need to be there. Happy New Year. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. David Schwab here. For our first guest of 2019, we have Jeff Gooding. Jeff runs all marketing and advertising for Ace Hardware. Ace Hardware has 4,500-plus stores. It's been around, geez, for almost 100 years. We begin the conversation talking about their co-op model, which is different than a franchise model. Interesting distinction that we talk about at the beginning. And also, I just wanted to have Jeff on to talk about retail. I'm not sure there's a more dynamic category in the business world right now with transformation, innovation, than retail. And we scroll back in memory lane because while he spent the last 20 plus years shaking customers in the retail space, he started as a poli-sci major and why he did and then what ended up getting him down the path of retail. He gives a great lesson back to his first job where he went in for an interview during school and asked to work for a place for three months for free. And if he was good, keep me on. If not, you can kick me out the door. He stayed, of course, because the guy's smart and gets it. And as he says, it's easier to get a job when you already have a job. It's a great point for students coming out of Miami right now. We also spent a little bit of time on how does he get his daily inspiration and get those competitive juices every day in a category that is changing so quickly. We begin the conversation just talking about retail in 2019. Thanks for listening. Retail is changing every single day, uh, fast and dynamically, and, and those that don't keep up are going to die. Uh, and as a 100-year-old brand at Ace Hardware, we have to do the same thing. Uh, and 100-year-old brands need to, to act quickly uh, and based on how consumers uh, shop and digest their information, and that's what we're trying to do as well. Uh, we're not going to out Amazon Amazon, but we certainly have to keep up with consumer expectation. If you think about it as a 100-year-old, almost 100-year-old brand, for many, many, many years, Ace defined what helpful was, and we're the helpful place, and we're going to stand on that helpfulness uh, until the cows come home or until the day we die, uh, and, and hopefully that's you know, 100 and 200 years from now. Um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in a – I mean, you guys, it's a co-op environment, right? Or like a fr- – is it franchise co-op? How, what's the difference, I guess, there? So, so yes, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and a lot of consumers uh, think that Ace is a big, giant corporation. And in some respects, it is because it's over 4,500 stores uh, domestically, uh, and we're um, and it is a co-op situation. So, a franchise is obviously owned by a company, and then licenses out or franchises out its its locations. As a co-op, we are owned by our store by our store mm. store owners. So, the 4,500 folks that own the stores own the company. So, when you buy into the Ace Hardware family and own a store, you own shares in the company. Um, so as the marketing guy, I like to say I have 4,500 bosses and they are all experts in advertising, uh, <laughs> hear about it all the time. Um, but they're consumers too. So it's always good feedback. Um, but that's the difference as a co-op like REI is they own the company. Um, and so the idea behind a co-op obviously is, and it started over almost hundred years ago where, uh, you know, four guys got together to ban their buying power. Um, to get cost of goods as close as, as down as, as far as they could, so they could offer to their consumers at the best price. Um, that's still true today, and so it's about banding together the 4,500 locations we buy on their behalf uh, for the best pricing we can get, and then we get it to their stores with the best logistics that we possibly can at the cheapest way, so that they can pass that value on to their consumers. 
So as a, as a marketer with 4,500 bosses, as you say, how, what's that process like? You, you create a, a program, you think through a sponsorship, you have an idea of where you should advertise nationally, and then it goes out to a group to, to vote, to have opinion, or is it really your business call and then they can execute or implement locally? So two things. Well, A, let me, let me set that up by saying as a co-op, as a store owner of Ace Hardware, you don't have to buy a thing from us. Okay. So at the end of the day, even though you have Ace on your door, uh, and, you, and like a franchise organization, they pay into an ad fund of which that all has to benefit them equally, right? Because, and that's why we do a lot of national advertising and give them the tools to market locally and some funds to help market them locally. But at the end of the day, to set that up, they don't have to do anything that we say on like a franchise organization where they can push it from the top down. So we're selling every day. So for the $45, I like like to talk about it in thirds. A third of store owners are progressive. They'll follow us wherever we go. They believe in what we're doing. The other, the bottom, the other, the far right third are like, nope, we're a co-op. Just give me my goods, my goods to the back of my store uh, as fast as you can so I can get them on my shelves. And that middle third is who we're trying to sell every day and get them to push them up the hill uh, towards the the marketing end of things. Um, So with that answer, when we are developing our marketing plans, developing advertising ideas, um, services for consumers, we're developing them. I do have a council. I call it the retailer input team. And it's made up of about 12 retailers geographically spread around the country. So we have representation geographically spread as as far as single store owners, multi-store owners, and everything in between. And we use them as a council. Uh, to help us represent the retailers, the 4,500 retailers, um, not necessarily from a voting perspective, but will this dog hunt at retail, at a stores, will it be relevant to consumers in their belief in their markets? Mm. And we help get their buy-in, right? So as we get their buy-in, we can use that as we are out there selling it to our retailers. And I assume you use that team, but also how do you personally get the inspiration for uh, figuring out how to innovate? Well, I mean, it's anywhere and everywhere. So, I mean, we've got, uh, you know, trends that we follow, data we follow. We are very data-driven. At the end of the day, uh, we've got one of the most powerful loyalty programs uh, in the market. Uh, We've got about 20 million active and 40 million total loyalty members in the ACE Rewards Program. And so we have billions of transactional data points that we mine to make sure that we get the right offer or the right program to the right consumer the right way at the right time. Uh, And that's incredibly powerful. And so we're using that data as well as partnerships with people like Google um, to analyze trends and where consumers are going to make sure that we try to get in front of it. We're never going to be the tip of the spear, but we got to be a pretty fast follower uh, in a lot of ways to meet consumer demand. At the end of the day, consumer now is dictated. I started this sort of long story. We used to define what helpful was at Ace Harbor. Now the consumer does. Hmm. And there's lots of different ways to be helpful, right? And so it's not just about the guy standing in the store in a red vest and helping you get the right toilet flapper. Um, that's important, but we need to emanate and extend helpful outside the four walls of the store. Uh, and for almost 100 years, that was what was helpful. Now consumers define helpful, and they can get help any way that they choose and they think is helpful, so we need to be there. And so it's pretty bifurcated and, uh, and pretty uh, spread pretty thin you know, across the board. Uh, and it's hard to be all places that all consumers need to be or want to be, want you to be, but we have to try. Mm-hmm. And just to your own personal inspiration outside of the, the business side that's going to help you and Ace, but just your, I don't know, the, the way you think on an everyday basis is that, is it a certain journalist or blogger or uh, TED Talk or you know, Chicago Tribune? Is there, is there a place that you yeah. go to that you like to listen and learn? 
It's a great question. And, and to be honest with you, I just don't do it enough. Mm-hmm. And, and every you know year I think about doing it more and I try and I go in spurts, but it just retail is so fast paced uh, and so quick and so changing um, that we're reading and reacting every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I wish we did. I did more of it. And, and retail. So let me, if I get my maths right here. So you've been at Ace for almost 10 years, a little less than 10 mm-hmm. years. Yep. And then before there, there was some agency work and some other brand work. Was was retail? How long has retail been in your blood? Well, it's funny because if you look back across my resume, so to speak, retail's sort of intertwined throughout. Either certainly on the corporate side, you know, you, you know, GM was certainly retail, right? It's, it's product, but also retail. This is certainly retail. Valley Total Fitness is, is services, but retail. You're driving people to a location for a service or product. Uh, so that, you know, a lot of my career has been that way. And even on the agency side, a lot of my clients were retail clients. So at the end of the day, it's about, you know, shaking the consumer, I call it, right? So how do you, how do you get noticed? How do you shake them? Get them off their couch and go get them to do the thing you want them to do, to take the action on what you want them to do. Uh, and so a lot of my career has been that way. And even on the sports side of things, it's no different, right? You're trying to drive, you know, from IndyCar racing, you're trying to drive uh, viewership and attendance. Um, same kind of thing. So how are you going to reach that consumer, shake them to, you know, because get them to do something different than they're currently doing uh, and get them to react. And, and listening through that and shaking the consumer, if we go back to memory lane here a little bit to Oxford, Ohio, I'm not sure that's what you were thinking when you were a poli sci major, right? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's funny because uh, my family is filled with lawyers. And so I assumed <laughs> that that was what I was going to do. And therefore, you know, poli sci at uh, in Miami and we're off and running. Um, so the, the funny sort of, I guess, story behind that is, and so I would work at my, my father's large law firm in San Francisco where I grew up in the Bay area and, uh, in the summers and, uh, sort of a summer law clerk. And then, uh, the lawyers would give me briefs that had to be filed by a certain time at the, uh, at the city, at the city office, city hall. And so they would give it, of course, they're late like everybody else. And so they'd give you the, the brief, you know, right at the deadline or after the deadline. And so I'd have to race down to City Hall and try to get the clerk, you know, the hourly worker that's sitting behind the desk that, you know, really doesn't want to hear any of your humor or any of your personality um, show up there after the fact and get them to accept this brief uh, even after the deadline. So that's what I figured out. You know what? I kind of like sales and marketing a lot more than I like the law side of things and using personality and relationships and to sell in the market. And so that's when I figured I actually wanted to go into marketing versus law school uh, while I was, you know, during the summers uh, while I was at Miami. And what else do you remember about High Street and, and walking on campus, either a class or a professor or just your buddies in the fraternity? What, what, what sticks with you still today? <laughs> well, I'm not sure this is a good story, but it's from the fraternity side of things I remember. So, you know, Miami is a very big business school, obviously. And, uh, and so most of my fraternity brothers or friends were all business majors. And then, you know, of course, they were making fun of political science and I was making fun of them and back and forth. And so we all decided, fine, smart guys, you guys take a political science class and I'll take, I think it was an econ class. And we'll see who does better. And then after the first test, all of us came back to sort of the lunchroom and we're like, oh, yeah, that actually is really hard. Um, it sucks. <laughs> and so they all they all dropped the poli sci classes, and I dropped the econ class, and we kind of went our uh, merry way with uh, now mutual respect for each other. Um, yeah, the econ and accounting isn't exactly. I knew I, that wasn't where I was going to go, so I knew on the it was the marketing and the sales side of things that uh, that really you know got me excited. And when you finished school, did you have a job right out of kind of the job fair, or where, where did you go right away? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I didn't, you know, I didn't use any of the Miami resources, mostly because I wasn't on the business side of things where a lot of that really was. 
So, uh, you know, I played baseball at Miami and I thought, well, you know, what I want to do is I want to work for a sports team. Uh, and so it's funny because when we all did my senior year, we all put up, you know, you remember the ding letters when you get uh, rejections yeah. from companies? Mm-hmm. You know, this was pre-internet, obviously. Uh, and so you'd get a hard copy letter back telling you, uh, sorry, but no thanks. Uh, well, I certainly led the league in that amongst my friends and where we lived off campus my senior year because I you know, reached out to pretty much every sports team you can think of and tried to get in the door uh, that way. Uh, even to Bo Schembuckler at the time, who was an SAE like I was, and I used to try to every angle I could because uh, he was a president of the Detroit Tigers at the time. And so I got a very nice thing letter back from him, but a thing letter nonetheless. So I papered the, the, the walls with them, um, and so that didn't work out. Hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was my grandparents lived here in Chicago where I live today. Um, and I was reaching out to sports marketing agencies and I, the guy was, I called around cause I knew I was coming to Thanksgiving in, in Chicago and the guy at this company I called was, uh, I'm sure regretful enough to answer the phone mm-hmm. versus avoid the, the random calls. And he said, well, you know what, tell you what, we'll interview you for an opportunity come up here tomorrow, you know, uh, before Thanksgiving. So I did. And these guys were just having fun with me as far as, you know, they're like sharks. How are you like a shark? Questions like that. Went through this whole interview process. And at the end of it, uh, they said, well, you know, we don't really have a job, but if we did, we'd hire you. And so I said, I'll tell you what, I will work for free for three months after I graduate. And if I don't prove myself after that time, we'll part ways. And if I do, then you bring me on. And it turned out that they were a sports marketing agency working with the NFL at the time, NFL Properties, on marketing programs for their sponsors. Um, and so I landed there after uh, graduation. I'm not sure they remember that I was going to show up, but I did. And I worked for uh, three months for free. And I ended up developing what was the, uh, the NFL hotline at the time. Because, again, there was no Internet. And so it was a way for the NFL and their sponsors to reach consumers uh, with NFL-related um, information, be it weather for betting, so to speak, um, tips, you know, who's doing what in the league, sweepstakes to, to, to enter, those kinds of things. And so uh, proved my worth, I guess, after three months, and they hired me. It wasn't a million dollars out of, the, out of the gate, certainly, because, you know, from zero to not a lot is a lot at the time, but uh, that's how it started. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a, there's a tip in there for a lot of students and also just even – folks in their early 20s too of it's a long game it's the long game you're going to be working for 30 or 40 years and the first three months are not going to define um, your salary and where you end up but it certainly can set you on a good path in places where doors aren't always open and ding letters are on walls which there are a lot of places a lot of kids well it's a good point i mean it's about confidence right even thinking back to those days um it was confidence in myself and what i could do uh, maybe a little naivete because I hadn't been out in the real world yet. Those guys certainly have been in the rest of the world. Um, but the confidence to try, uh, and, and myself and, and do that and prove myself out. And, and, you know, as, as students and all of us know, who've been through the working world for a while, you know, it's easier to get a job when you have a job mm. uh, and you can tell the story. Uh, and so that first job is incredibly important. It's not going to be where it's not likely you're going to be there the rest of your career to your point, cause it's 30 some odd years. But it's an absolutely great starting uh, point. And so no matter what it is, make the most of it and use that to get to where you want to go eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in Chicago, and you've been there for quite some time, I and mean, that is a Miami hotbed. Oh, probably the big, <laughs> probably the city in this country. Biggest you know, city, had, at least, of Miami impact. I, I had zero idea of that, obviously, going in. I grew up in California, ended up in Oxford, Ohio. Uh, many of my high school friends still think I went to school in Florida. 
Um, but then obviously, you know, my, my parents grew up here in the Midwest in the Chicago area. So I, I have Chicago roots. Grandparents were here too. Um, but I had no idea. But as you said, I mean, from my, from Miami, certainly to Miami from Chicago, no question about it. I've got kids in high school now and the, the, the freeway, it seems like from high schools here in the Chicago area down to Oxford is, uh, rampant with kids running down there which i think is great um and it's certainly after college um tons of miami alums right out of school and obviously we all stayed here a bunch of times so it is a ton of folks here and as we kick start the new year in 2019 what what fires you up what excites you every day for business and then also what keeps you up what do you what do you think about that makes you uh, not pause, but makes you have some, a little bit more critical thinking in what you do. Well, I mean, I'm a competitive guy, so and retail is very competitive, and so I get up every day, you know, wanting to win. And so, what are we going to do to win? Uh, and, and you can't just keep doing what you've been doing to win because it's changing, and you and you can't control what your competitors are going to do. And so, we are the underdog. Ace Hardware is the underdog. We may be the leader in the co-op channel, um, however, uh, consumers don't care what a co-op channel is. They want their home improvement. Uh, goods as as fast and easily as they can. So that's what we're fighting against. So we are fighting against the boxes, the depots, the lows of the world. We're fighting against Amazon. We're fighting against Walmart. Anywhere that you can get a hammer and nails and a light bulb um, is really what we're, we're, we're competing against. And so it's about share of mind. And then how is the little guy in us that is not nearly as funded as well as those behemoths? How are we going to fight and win? Uh, and where are we going to take our victories? Uh, and so that's what I get fired up. I mean, that's not just this year. That's every day, every year since, you know, the day I graduated. Where do you, um, where, do you, where do you do that thinking? Where do you, if you're not in the shower or at your desk or in a store, is, is there a spot where you do some of that extra thinking? Is it in a car at a Starbucks? Is there a certain spot where you are, are, are thinking most about that stuff? Uh, it's funny you say that. Um, really it's while jogging, which if you looked at me, you're like, you should do a lot more thinking because if you need to do a lot more thinking, you'd be doing a lot more jogging. Um, but it's really, that's where my mind is the clearest, I guess. And then that's not rare. I mean, a lot of people do that. Um, and frankly, you know, most of the day, if you're, uh, if you're married and you have a family and you're working a big company, you don't have a lot of alone time, which is why your question was, is in the car? And that's where most people, uh, and I'm lucky enough to have about a 10 minute commute, believe it or not. Um, so there's not a lot of alone time. And so it's really when, uh, uh, when I'm jogging or exercising or, and by myself that, that I think through a lot of that stuff, uh, for sure. Uh, otherwise you gotta, um, go to, I've gone to the library before for a quiet time to kind of think things things, but it's hard. Right. And I even say to people work for me, you know, it, it, your day is so scheduled with so many meetings, um, that, you know, you have the one hour to be strategic or be creative. And it really sucks to try to sit in a conference with a bunch of people say, okay, now you got an hour, be creative. doesn't work that way. You got to find it to your point. You got to find the times, the the quiet times, and uh, to think and be creative. And and sometimes it's going to hit you in very unexpectedly. And so make your 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 notes in your phone, uh, carry a, a post-it notes, whatever you need to do to capture that uh, that thought. Because you're back on the treadmill, you're back on that rat race. The very next second, you may forget about it. And I'm really good at saying, "All right, this is a stupid idea" to somebody, but the stupid idea generally uh, manifests itself into something else that is workable or is a good idea and then just getting people to buy into it and work alongside with you to get it done thanks jeff thanks for taking the time on beyond high street today i really like the line it's easier to get a job when you have a job students remember that the first job you get is not going to be the last job 
get in the door, figure out what you like, figure out what you don't like, and meet people along the way and continue to learn. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. See you at Skippers.